Welcome to the 45th episode of our podcast series for advisors considering the independent space. Today's episode is Gaining the Technological Edge in Independence, a conversation with Eric Poirier, CEO of Adapar. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com and on wealthmanagement.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other resources. If you're new to the series, I encourage you to visit diamond-consultants.com slash independence101 for the top five episodes that will help you get up to speed on the basics of the independent space, plus links to other episodes you may have missed. And if you're listening to the series on the Apple Podcast app, be sure to leave a star rating and review. It serves as a guide to us, as well as your colleagues in the wealth management industry who may be searching for valuable content to tune into. One of the topics advisors have asked me to cover on the show is technology, which is at the core of unifying advice, products, and solutions for an RIA firm. So I've asked Eric Poirier, the CEO of one of the industry's leading fintech firms, to join me today. Adapar has been a game changer for advisors serving sophisticated clients whose assets are diversified amongst multiple asset classes owned by a variety of legal entities and held by multiple custodians. This often underserved market is looking for transparency into their overall financial picture, and Adapar's platform provides that and more. One of the most frequently asked questions we hear from prospective breakaways is this. My wirehouse firm just invested hundreds of millions in our technology, and I serve a highly sophisticated client base. How could the technology available to me as an independent ever compare to what I have here? With over a trillion dollars in assets on the platform today, Adapar has answered that question for many advisors and their high net worth clients, more than leveling the technology playing field between the independent and traditional spaces. Derek describes it best, so let's bring him on. So I am incredibly excited today to be joined by Eric Poirier, and I'd love to jump right in. I'd love to as well. I'm thrilled to have you here. Thank you. So Adapar is an unusual name, but in the last decade, aside from being an unusual name, it's really become synonymous with best-in-class innovative technology. Would love to hear in your words what Adapar is and how the idea for it was born. So Adapar was started in late 2009 in the wake of the financial crisis. And really what we noticed is a lot of wealth managers serving larger, more complex end clients uh, realized the hard way that they were not sufficiently able to answer some of the most basic questions about the client's investment portfolio. So answering questions like, what do I own? What am I exposed to? Where do I own the various assets I own? What are they worth? And just being able to answer those basic questions when markets are in a steady state is hard enough. But when markets are in turmoil, you need to be able to answer those questions in a timely way um, so you can make the appropriate adjustments to the portfolio. Um, and so, you know, again, in 07, 08, a lot of people found out the hard way they weren't well positioned to do that. And that's why we took a step back and recognized that fundamentally a, a more modern technology platform uh, was needed to arm wealth managers uh, to really answer these types of questions in a timely way. 
So what was your vantage point? Where were you at that point to say, we're looking at this, there is a hole or a gap that needs to be filled? Yeah. So for me personally, I had been at Lehman Brothers from 2003 to 2006, and then from Palantir beginning in middle of 2006. And so I had been building software within the financial services world for years. And I had recognized that there, basically the way that financial services had worked prior to kind of the fintech movement that you know a lot of people are uh, talking about today, financial services had been devoid of more strategic technology to actually power people's businesses. So technology was more kind of a back office type thing, uh, more of a cost center. And technology had not really been strategically embraced to power people's businesses. And so the vantage point we had was given what we had solved at Palance here, we saw a really clear opportunity within wealth management um, to help solve data aggregation problems first and foremost. And by solving data aggregation problems, then we can run the right calculations for advisors to give each client a perfect picture of everything they owned and how they owned it. So in working backwards from the client experience that the advisor wanted to create, nail the data problem, and then get all the outputs to that client in a way that's sufficiently flexible um, where the advisor can tailor that experience per client. And so where does the name come from? Adapar comes from a Latin phrase uh, from Ovid's Metamorphosis. It's adaparvum parvo magnus iservis erit. And what it means is you add a little to a little and you end up with a great pile. And so it's really a story of, of perseverance. And, you know, when we think about the broader industry problems, uh, the, the kind of intractable problem within financial services has been uh, to have a common language and a common data model to express uh, every type of asset that can be owned and how it's owned and where it's owned. And by basically solving that foundational problem for the industry, uh, but doing it using an open platform and using you know, a philosophy where we want to partner well with anyone else who has a strong offering, and we want to bring together all those offerings on one common language and on one common data platform, like that's a, it's a long path, it's a long road, and we knew that going into it. And that's why we recognize that you basically have to take one step and then take the right second step and then take the right third step. And given where we are today, you know, we've made a tremendous amount of progress in the last almost 10 years, um, but we still feel like we're in the you know, top or middle of the second inning. Well, that's the exciting part. So what's the elevator pitch? If any one of your many employees were ran into somebody at a bar or on an elevator and they say, I work for Adipar, and somebody said, what is Adipar? Right. How do you finish that sentence? So when we talk to clients and prospects, we tend to focus more on the specifics of what we solve for today and why our clients are licensing the software today. And uh, the pitch for that uh, type of audience is Adapar enables advisors to deliver on the client experience um, that those advisors want and need to be able to deliver on by bringing technology to bear to securely bring together lots of data and give the advisor the flexibility to create exactly the right outputs per client so each client can really understand what they have, and they build a more trusted relationship with their advisor. The pitch that I give to our talent, because you know talent is, from our perspective, the most competitive market in the world, is that by solving this problem on the high end of wealth management, um, we're in the early stages of solving a much, much deeper problem and a much more foundational problem for all of financial services. And so we're taking the time to build the right technology and build it the right way to really unify Again, all of the data that describes anything that can be in an investment portfolio, from the liquid side of portfolios with stocks and bonds and ETFs, to the illiquid side of portfolios with investments in private equity and hedge funds and venture and a variety of real assets, 
And that really had been the problem that had been intractable in the industry, especially in an industry where you have $120 trillion of assets owned by individuals globally and another $80 trillion of assets owned by institutions. Solving that foundational problem is so critical. Uh, and we now have the technology necessary to, to really chip away at that. Yeah, it's an exciting time for sure. I want to come back to Adapar's capabilities and who it's meant for. But let's shift gears a second and step backward. Bigger picture, there's a whole lot of breakaway movement going on. That's probably the biggest change in the industry of wirehouse or big bank or big brokerage advisors leaving to go independent in some version or other. One of the things the wirehouse advisors complain about, even with the billions of dollars that their firms may have invested in technology while at a big bank, is the limitations in what they can do for clients and how they can depict a client's entire portfolio across multiple asset classes. Yet we know that many of the big firms offer access to at least a version of Adapar. So here's my question. Why would these wirehouse folks still cite limitations in technology as a motivation for leaving? So you have to look at the history of uh, technology within the large wirehouses uh, to get at the answer here. A lot of the wirehouses had built their own technology within the bank because there really hadn't been scalable, commercially available offerings. And so they had to hire a technical team and build a lot of the technology stack in-house. And so each wirehouse has a legacy investment in technology that they have absolutely poured a lot of money into. And Adapar is now becoming relevant in licensing our software within wirehouses. You're right that in a much more regulated environment, those banks need to take Adapar. They need to limit functionality, limit some features so that advisors can use the portions of the technology that legal risk compliance and a variety of other constituencies with the bank are, within the bank are comfortable with them using. And so Adapar, the way that we're going building out the technology is making it highly configurable. So each one of our clients can really you know, either expose the full feature set to every user within the firm or really limit which users have access to each bit of feature functionality and also which end clients uh, the advisors can access information uh, on behalf of. Another aspect is just, you know, from a go-to-market standpoint, Adapar had been focused on RIAs and family offices really up until just a couple of years ago. And as we start bringing Adapar into banks, we're starting with the very, oftentimes the largest teams within those banks versus doing a firm-wide rollout. Now, that's actually starting to change now as well as we're getting more demand, more appetite from larger banks to do a full-scale rollout of Adapar to all advisors, not just the private wealth management advisors. And so I guess to answer the question from the advisor's standpoint, the advisor who had been at a bank or maybe is still at a bank and they're trying to uh, contemplate what it might look like on the other side, like if they could go independent, now that there is commercially available software, I think the comparative advantage that maybe existed 10 years ago where banks had an edge from a technology standpoint, we don't see it that way at all anymore. We think if anything, the choice that advisors who are independent have in terms of you know, putting together best of breed solutions to best suit the needs of their business that they're, that they're building as independent advisors. They're really amazing solutions today in the independent space that work very well together in a lot of the practice management um, to make sure that they work together so the advisors can focus on their client needs versus spending an inordinate amount of time internally just getting, you know, pulling together data and connecting various systems. I think the promise of technology is now actually starting to be delivered on. But again, there's still a lot of area for improvement. From 
that score. Yeah. Well, I think we talk about the level playing field, right? The playing field's been leveled between the RIA space from a technology standpoint and the big banks and big brokerages. In a lot of cases, I think advisors would say technology in the RIA space has eclipsed what's available in the wirehouse world simply because the big banks have not made all versions of what's available to their entire staff. But that's a question. So you say you think that eventually the wirehouses will make the full suite of what's possible, turn it all on. How long till you think that happens? Do you think that's realistic? I think it's a fair statement that independent advisors do have an edge now with respect to technology because they can use the technology in a less restrictive way. In terms of how exactly the technology strategy is within the banks, you have to really understand the business outcomes that the banks are shooting for. So, you know, if you're running a broad-based wealth management firm within a bank, it's uh, not yet clear to us whether that bank wants to optimize on giving each advisor the full spectrum of capabilities and unparalleled flexibility with respect to how they run their practice. Or uh, in other cases, banks want to shape the practice that each advisor is creating and sort of enforce that practice via a set of controls. And, you know, using technology is one of the means to to really uh, kind of enforce that. And so we don't have a particular point of view. And I also don't see like one prevailing trend across all banks. Banks have their own uh, philosophy, their own strategy. Some of the banks we work with, uh, they're really committed to giving advisors a lot of flexibility, especially advisors who are serving larger, more complex clients. And they're using out-of-par strategically to achieve that. Other banks would rather have an operating model that's more consistent and more shared across all of their teams. And again, using out-of-par, they can achieve that as well. But from the advisor perspective, for the advisors who do crave you know, flexibility and they want to be able to shape their practice in the way that they want to shape it, you know, within certain bank contexts, they're going to feel encumbered. Right. Well, flexibility is the key. So I think one of the biggest myths out there is that a wirehouse advisor who's jazzed by, use the word freedom, the freedom and flexibility and control that becoming an RIA could offer them, they get stuck on the belief that I'm me, I'm little me, even if I manage a billion or five in assets, and they're them, big bank, and given issues of size and scope and operating costs, how could there possibly ever be a level playing field between what they're able to offer an advisor from a technology standpoint and what I could offer if I became an RIA? So we completely agree that that's a myth. Uh, We think that Advisors, regardless of whether they're independent or they're at a bank, uh, most of the advisors at banks are using legacy technology. Any advisor using modern technology has a massive advantage in order to deliver uh, a client experience in a tailored way, in a flexible way. And advisors in the independent space tend to have more choice in terms of embracing and adopting modern technology in the least constrained way. And so I recognize that for advisors considering making the leap to independence, they they might feel nervous about that. But we have a lot of proof points and a lot of evidence. A lot of firms who have successfully launched and embraced technology that was much more modern on the independent side from when they were uh, within a big bank. And that's not just Adapar working alone on this, of course. It's Adapar working in concert with partners at custody banks, uh, with other adjacent uh, technology providers, and working with that shared client to make sure that they're able to achieve the business outcomes they're looking to achieve and really implement the practice management style they're looking to implement. And so we don't just take the technology and sort of 
drop it off and leave the client alone. We work really hand in glove with them to stand up to technology in their environment with eyes wide open to the business model they're looking to achieve. And that type of partnership is our standard. So let's take the amorphous and make it more tangible. What is really available in the independent space from a technology perspective? And I'm thinking that maybe the best way to answer the question is to do it by giving us an example of an RIA client, either that you choose to name or not, that uses Adapar and how they use it and what's been made possible because of technology, modern technology. So rather than singling out any specific breakaway, what I can do is we did an analysis internally recently. We looked at six different breakaways that had come from six different banks, each of which had a a billion dollar plus book. And we identified patterns across all of those six breakaways. Now today we have dozens of breakaways, but again, just zeroing in on teams that left six different banks and all went independent. Day one of, of you know, being a breakaway, the immediate thing you're solving for is how do I get the clients who I had before over to my new practice? And showing your story versus telling your story becomes really, really important. And so you know, part of our, our methodology in, in standing up the software for breakaways uh, is that those, uh, the breakaway teams can really sit with each individual client and walk them through what's new, what's different about their new practice. So that's kind of moment one, day one, and then migrating accounts over, migrating clients over, uh, migrating assets over. Now, when the breakaway is a month in, three months in, six months in, 12 months in, the motion changes somewhat as, of course, their business starts maturing. And so uh, conversations that then start taking place is, you know, in addition to Adapar, in addition to the relationship with their custody bank, what are the other pieces of technology they need to implement that they need to integrate together to make it so the workforce within the wealth management firm has exactly what they need to operate efficiently and to get focused on delivering the client outcomes and doing so in a way that's predictable, that's repeatable, and that's sustainable. You know, in that context, we see some variations in the practice style per breakaway, but really asking that high-level question, like what are we trying to achieve from the client standpoint? And then how do we work backwards from that and set up our technology strategy and you know, make the right choices uh, in terms of technology providers that can work well together. And how about as the firm grows? So I agree, month one's goals are very different than months three, six, and 12 goals. That's all about just making sure that the business ported over and the principals and entire team is really functioning in the new infrastructure. But as we move to year three and year five and the business becomes more about, you know, how do we really turbocharge growth and how do we become more efficient and how do we offer a better or more customized service experience? How does Adapar get involved then? Yeah, absolutely. So for firms who are more mature in their operating model and they do want to really zero in on growth and how do you achieve growth in the most sustainable, most scalable way, you know, separating out operationally like the tasks that should be sort of tailored and custom and sort of one off versus the tasks that should be more routine because the routine tasks lend themselves more naturally to be automated. Like that's one of the kind of meta points that we run into. And so how do we help firms achieve more operational efficiency so they can spend more of their time out with prospective clients or out deepening relationships with existing clients? Or for certain types of firms, if they want to go acquire additional teams, 
and bring those teams into their practice. Um, in all three of those circumstances, Adapart becomes quite relevant. And so, you know, in situations where advisors have, for each client relationship the advisors have, they have 100% of that relationship, then really the task is to figure out which clients are their best clients and how can they go find more clients who look like those clients um, and how can they achieve a level of uh, client excellence so that they're building a more lasting value proposition. In cases where that advisor only has a portion of that client's business, because Adapar is providing data aggregation capabilities, uh, we're providing an argument to, uh, for that advisor to share with their client about why they should you know, have more of that client's uh, overall relationship. And so that's really where the data aggregation capabilities we offer uh, become really valuable. In addition to just the performance reporting uh, feature functionality, you know, having Adapart integrate, for example, with financial planning tools and rebalancers and CRMs, um, we're making it so the entire life cycle of the advisor's relationship with their client, they can carry out that life cycle within Adapar, where Adapar is interoperating with the other pieces in a way that's seamless, in a way that's streamlined. So again, that advisor can just stay laser focused on, you know, for their existing clients, make sure that that client is happy, make sure that the trust with that client is growing, and making sure that that, that relationship can grow accordingly. And then for clients uh, that the advisor wants to bring on, um, how do they really sharpen their message, sharpen their pitch, bring that story to life so that their likelihood of landing that client is much higher? And so who are your competitors? I mean, to be honest, I, I think of our biggest competitor as inertia. That's more the case, I guess, for more well-established firms. Like for breakaways, our success rate and our hit rate and our win rate is extraordinarily high. And I think that's because the reputation that we've earned as a firm as being modern, as being really oriented around enabling the advisor to achieve the client outcome. That sounds great, but in the proof's in the pudding, and we've been able to really deliver on that in a very consistent way. So from a competitive standpoint for existing firms, you know, existing firms who don't necessarily have a catalyst to make a change, uh, to change the technology they're using, like that's what I mean by inertia. You have to have somewhat of a risk appetite um, to move from one system to another system. And so the reasons for doing it oftentimes come from either a change in leadership within the firm or a pretty dramatic change in client expectations. Like sometimes you know, the firm loses a large client and the client attributes the reason why they left you know, is, is having something to do with lack of a sufficiently modern client experience. And that kind of makes the firm wake up a little bit um, and recognize that they need to do something different going forward than what they've done to date. And I guess I'm wondering how expensive it is. So relative to the total cost of business ownership, how does a new breakaway rationalize the cost of Adapar? We align Adapar's commercial model with the commercial model of our clients. And so in general, the advisors we serve are on a fee-based model versus a commission-based model. And we charge a very, very small fraction of the fee that our clients are charging their clients. And so what that ends up doing is it makes it so uh, if we're delivering on our promise to our clients and they're able to satisfy their business objectives and goals, they can trivially rationalize the cost of Adapar because we're helping them more effectively retain existing clients. Um, we're helping them grow, grow wallet share for each and every client. We're helping them attract new clients. And if they want to attract new teams, we're helping with that also. So the ROI on the technology investment is really high and quite compelling for those reasons. But in addition to that, if you think about the total cost of ownership and operating a more legacy technology platform, you have to take into account all the people who are doing a whole bunch of work manually. And you also have to take into account some of the operational risks and some of the security concerns of operating a business in kind of that old fashioned way. By embracing modern technology, 
you also shore up a variety of operational risks. You become a much more secure business uh, and you're able to deliver on that client experience in ways that you can't really without embracing technology uh, as a fundamental part of the business strategy. You know, it's so interesting. I think that, look, a lot of people don't know what they don't know. So they exist happily and serve their clients incredibly well within the confines of a big, big bank. What's changed so dramatically as advisor sentiment has changed in the last number of years is advisors actually going out and getting educated about what else is possible. It used to be what else is possible was that if I was at Merrill, what was possible was Morgan Stanley. Now they may still look at Morgan Stanley, but they also want to understand what's driving this tremendous momentum toward independence. And I think one of the things that ties into the whole notion of being a fiduciary is that you can't unsee what you've seen. So if you go do the due diligence and you look at the RIA space and you delve into it at all and you begin to see modern technology, as you put it, and you come back and you compare that to even what you thought was cutting edge technology within your firm, still legacy technology, it's hard to unring that bell. And I think that that becomes sort of a more powerful motivator. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the, the you know, Henry Ford adage, right? Like if you're used to riding horses, you're used to riding horses. And once you see a car and once you experience a car, your whole worldview just shifts. I think it's the same type of thing. Yeah, it solves a need that an advisor probably didn't even know that they had. Exactly. That's a lot of what's going on. So how sophisticated does an advisor need to be? Or who is sort of the target advisor in terms of his or her business type or personality type to that might embrace Adapar? So as Adapar was getting started, again, we're an almost 10-year-old business today. We really placed our initial bet on serving advisors serving ultra high net worth clients, as well as serving family offices. And the reason why we did that is because very counterintuitively, that constituency had been the most underserved by technology. They'd been underserved because each client's portfolio spanned a variety of asset types from, of course, the variety of liquid assets that the client owns, but also the variety of illiquid assets, investments in alternatives, et cetera. But also they have complex ownership structures where they own assets through various legal entities, trusts, grats, generation skipping trusts, et cetera. And so Adapar solved for the specific complexities that exist on the high end of wealth management first and foremost. And that's where we built what's today the leading solution in that part of the market. Now, as we've expanded our business, though, you know, we've become relevant to a broader base set of advisors, and especially in our work with banks, and as I've mentioned before, the, some of the banks we're using us are choosing to roll Adapar out to all of their advisors, and so that's not tens of advisors, sometimes that's thousands of advisors. And so having the capabilities of the platform and the feature functionality go beyond just serving advisors who serve high net worth and ultra high net worth clients to serving a broader set of advisors within the same firm. Like we've really broadened the, the capabilities to do that. That said, we still feel very, very strongly that there's the deepest need in the market um, within wealth management is on the high end. And we feel like we have far and away the strongest competitive advantage there. And so we still remain focused really on the high end of wealth management. And there's still a lot more to do both in the breakaway movement, uh, well-established firms, multifamily offices, RIA is catering to high net worth and ultra high net worth. And so we really remain focused there. But I did want to call out and caveat that we do have a number of advisors today um, using Adapart that are serving clients whose individual portfolios tend to be more simple, more vanilla. 
it seems to me from what you said that if advisors are going to use technology to better manage the firm, to diminish risk, and to create a better service experience, then that probably matters less how ultra-high net worth the clients are and more just about how open-minded and experience-minded, client experience-minded the advisor is, right? That's correct. Absolutely. Having the maturity to think about a business in a much, much more scalable way and just saying, how do we simultaneously deliver a really top-notch client experience so that we're able to attract and retain our clients? But how do we do that in a ways that are operationally efficient so we can build enterprise value? In threading that needle, it's now quite possible. It's now plausible. There are now patterns that advisors can follow. And you're totally right that it's not directly correlated with, you know, advisors serving ultra high net worth or high net worth or mass affluent or retail. It's like advisors who are building their practice in a more kind of modern way, in a more growth oriented way, have to get those details right. Yeah. You know, I think that one of the biggest changes in advisor sentiment is that advisors began to think about their businesses as a business. That's one of the biggest drivers toward independence. As advisors said, if I'm building a business within the confines of a big bank, what are the elements of that business that are going to drive its overall enterprise value the most? And the number one thing that drives it down are limitations. The, one, the number one thing that drives it up is the customization factor, the lack of limitations, the ability to really offer a best-in-class experience. And I imagine technology is probably one of the first things that would be a part of that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we, you know, RIAs were really out of par's first love because we enjoy working with entrepreneurs and having entrepreneurs who have a vested interest in making their business really worth something and making their business worth something by having happy clients and then more of them. So to your point about if an advisor's business is encumbered by technology or data, like if they're not able to deliver the client experience they, that their clients really desire, the clients are going to leave and go somewhere else. But if the advisors are able to get at the bar that has now been raised in a lot of different ways, and in certain cases go above that bar, they're going to be able to form more of a groundswell of interest, attract more and more clients, and do that. Like That is directly correlated to the advisors being able to put a more precise, a more tailored solution in front of each and every one of their clients. And so yeah, we completely agree with the way you just described it. You need enough flexibility built into the business model the technology is a really scalable way to get to make that flexibility available in the business model. And that's really why a lot of these entrepreneurs building these businesses have to think about technology more strategically to power the business and bring it forward. Do you think that over the next five or 10 years or any period of time that the custodians will invest more in technology and either become more of a competitor to Adapar or offer a more integrated experience? We see the custodians as really important partners to Adapar. You know, as I mentioned before, of course, especially for independent RIAs, where they put their clients' assets is always the first question they have to answer from like an operational standpoint. And so we work very closely with custody banks to make sure that we together are able to deliver on that mutual client experience. And so in terms of what where custodians choose to invest in the future with respect to technology. You know, of course, I can't predict the future on their behalf, but at the same time, we have seen uh, a huge amount of interest from custody banks and working more in a more strategic way with us. So they see us as a really natural partner and they can see us as an extension to their core business model where advisors have enough complexity that doesn't fit neatly within their within the custody bank's own business model. Where so Adapar can extend 
the business model to suit the needs of those advisors. So for example, if the advisor has clients who have assets across multiple custody banks, Adapar is in a great position to be able to deliver a solution for each custody bank so that they can bring together assets from other custody banks. We're in a better position to do that than they are to do that on their own. And then in terms of you know, the variety of features and functionality where the RIA would go to the custody bank first and foremost, we're showcasing that through Adapar. So you can see in some of our recent announcements, for example, and expanding our integrations with Fidelity and Schwab and Pershing, really what we're doing is, is making it clear to RIAs who use those custody banking services how seamless, how streamlined experience that, that can become. And that's an investment we'll continue to make in a really intentional way going forward as well. So, you know, that's an interesting point because I think the number one paradigm shift that a potential breakaway needs to wrap their head around is if they've worked for any length of time within a traditional brokerage firm, they're used to an environment where everything was built in-house, legacy stuff, if you will, legacy technology. It's all they've known. The independent space is by and large about access to freeing yourself from those limitations and access to best-in-class product services solutions and technology from wherever it may come. And so I think it would be hard to imagine that the custodians would even want to get into a competition with Adapar when they know that it can be the notion of an advisor being able to pick and choose best-in-class is what being independent is all about. Exactly. That's how we think about it. I mean, the whole independent space is predicated on not just being independent of a large firm, but having independence with respect to the technology you choose, the investment products you have available, independence kind of on every level. So, and you're right that differentiating legacy tech from modern tech, legacy tech tends to be closed proprietary platforms. Modern tech tends to be open platforms that interoperate with other types of feature functionality. And so that's really one very deep investment we've made in terms of opening up our APIs, in terms of building very deep integrations with complementary technology, whether it's technology from custody banks or whether it's technology from other product providers, in doing all of that in service to fulfilling the client's business objectives. And so I think that, you know, the old school way of doing it is, you know, in order to deliver something to the client, you'd have to either build something or buy something and integrate it. Now the partner angle is, I think, a much more compelling angle, a much more scalable angle. I think in the most clean way and the most scalable way delivers on the promise to advisors who want that independence, who don't want to be locked into any one provider. So two final questions. What do you think are the top two or three primary questions that a prospective breakaway should ask relative to technology as they're investigating going independent? One important question from the perspective of an advisor who's, again, inherently entrepreneurial, if they're considering breaking away and setting up their own firm, you're entering into a long-term partnership. And so treating your choice of your technology provider as a long-term partner and not just a vendor relationship that's a really, really critical detail. And so, you know, answering the question, are the tech providers ultimately choosing, are they going to scale with my business? Do they understand the business I'm trying to build? Do they have the staying power um, to stay relevant to my firm and my clients, you know, for a decade to come? Answering that question and really anticipating or understanding, you know, uh, what their trajectory is likely to be a year out, two years out, three years out, um, that's such a critical thing that, that I think some advisors are a little bit more kind of short-term focused, a little bit more myopic about just, you know, getting like the first month of their operation right or the first quarter of their operation right, 
versus kind of taking the long view and saying, this business is successful on a five-year time horizon if it looks like this, and how do I work backwards from there? And how do I select the right tech providers as well as you know Custody Bank and a variety of other providers to best achieve that longer-term outcome? Yeah. One final question. What do you see as the next big thing on the scene from a technology perspective? Great question. And so a lot of the problems that we've been focused on solving have to do with they're really ultimately pretty boring sounding problems. Like how do you aggregate lots of data from lots of different places? How do you deliver that in a pretty seamless experience to the advisor so they can show their clients what they have invested in? It basically amounts to how do we deliver the best rear view mirror that's ever existed where each advisor and their client can see exactly where they are and where they've been. And so I think a much more compelling vision of the future um, that gets powered by technology is, you know, how do we as an industry, um, where Adapar is one of the players in the industry, collectively design the right windshields, the right set of headlights, where advisors and their clients are able to really be much more specific about what's possible and how to best achieve each individual's client's goals and objectives, how to take into account each individual's client's preferences, um, and really deliver on that in a lasting and scalable way. So, you know, we, we absolutely imagine a future whether it's two years out, three years out, five years out, where advisors end up becoming more specialized, not less specialized, and they become really excellent at serving specific clients, the the problems that are specific to a specific type of client. And we can imagine just a much more efficient way to deliver value for all clients who look like that. But, you know, taking the entire world of every end client who needs financial advice, and you take the whole population of all wealth managers, all financial advisors who have baseline set of skills, but then also have a particular interest in a particular set of experiences and delivering value to certain types of clients and really just optimizing that entire space using technology and using data much more strategically. So again, I think that a sort of rear view mirror and windshield analogy, uh, if you think about that in a very broad way, it can guide you to what financial services can become as financial services really embraces technology and data in a much more strategic way. And we look at, for example, marketing and advertising as a guide um, to what's possible in terms of an an entire industry shifting. So going from billboards and newspaper advertisements to, you know, the likes of Google being able to connect, like who's searching for what and who has what to offer. And then how do you, in a much more data-driven way, match the needs? All that's to say, I do think technology ultimately is a means to an end. And this entire industry is predicated on trust and trust is best earned in a human to human way. So our entire job is to make advisors better, smarter, more resourceful, more data driven so they can deliver those outcomes to their clients. Our job is certainly not to stand in the way of that relationship. It's to enhance that relationship. And I think that that's especially true again on the kind of higher end of the wealth management space where Regardless of you know tech innovation over years to come with artificial intelligence and machine learning and everything like that, um, we just don't see technology kind of obviating or replacing the need for the human advisor. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are relieved that you feel that way. Eric, we've taken up enough of your time. This was incredibly fascinating. Could go on forever, but I won't. We will be recording a second episode that I hope will have an opportunity to answer even more questions. And I can't thank you enough for your time and your wisdom and everything you've done for this industry. Thank you very much for having me. It's really a privilege. Eric 
shared compelling information about the role technology plays in an advisor's business and how it enhances the ability to deliver a holistic and transparent experience based on clients' needs. And when it comes to scale, productivity, and service delivery, advisors who are using modern platforms are realizing a massive advantage. Stay tuned for part two of this episode, where Eric will focus more on building a scalable firm with real enterprise value and how an RIA should think about technology to address efficiency, growth, and client experience. We also look forward to upcoming conversations with industry thought leader Michael Kitches, Bob Oros of Hightower, senior leaders from LPL Financial, Veronica Dagger of the Wall Street Journal, and many others. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast series and we'll notify you when each show airs. Until then, I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link to subscribe for regular updates to this series. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 908-879-1002 or mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. I thank you for listening. I also want to thank WealthManagement.com for sharing this podcast with their viewers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence.